This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of The Overcomers, God's Vision for You to Thrive in an Age of Anxiety and Outrage, written and narrated by pastor and best-selling author Matt Chandler, and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Welcome to the Craft and Character Podcast. Steve Carter here and in association with my good friends at CDF Capital, we've created this podcast in hopes to help you, all of you who are communicators and teachers and preachers, emerging voices, get better at the craft of communicating by listening and learning from some just incredible preachers, people that I I deeply, deeply love and respect. And people who I believe whose character is leading the way. The people who um, I have just been following, uh, people that I, I read, what they tell me to read. I, they're just people that I think the world of. And um, a number of years ago, I happened to be a pastor in Southern California, and I had some friends in Long Beach who told me about a guy by the name of A.J. Sherrill. And then AJ went to New York and he was pastoring in Chelsea, um, which is one of the coolest, hippest, most amazing neighborhoods in all of the world. And then he was the lead pastor at Mars Hill and just recently is now the lead pastor at St. Peter's Church in Charleston, South Carolina. And um, he's an author, he's a husband, father, um, but deep down, he's just a a good, good man. A couple of years ago, um, I was in a, a unique season and he just opened up his house and uh, we just sat in his living room and we just talked. And a couple of questions he asked me were so, so formative for me. And so AJ, welcome. Thank you for joining me on the Craft and Character Podcast. Yeah, man. Really honored to be a part of what you're up to here. Yeah. Well, I, I, I love like kind of following you because I always feel like when you teach, um, you have this unique ability to um, teach me something I didn't know um, about the text, but it's, it's always grounded in something that isn't just application for application's sake. It's like formation for spiritual formation's sake. Like I, I walk away from your messages and I find myself asking, okay, this is like this is going to help me become more and more like Christ. And whether it's just the a slowing down, whether it's just the deep dive in some kind of cultural conversation, there's the way that you find every topic to kind of shift into a deeper conversation on formation. Can I just ask where, where did that begin for you? Oh man. I, I think a lot of things begin for us um, in a kind of like spiritual boredom. Huh. So that's where like curiosity and imagination is, is birthed. You know, a lot of people turn towards cynicism when they're bored or entertainment, but I think it's a, if you find yourself right now, just sort of spiritually bored, especially through COVID of asking a lot of questions and feeling like things are waiting or whatever. Um, boredom is like a great breeding ground for, um, for what's to come. And so I, I went through seasons, like, it's funny you talk about Long Beach. That's been so long ago, it feels like, <laughs> uh, but that was a season of frustration and boredom for me pastorally things weren't working the way I wanted them to. It's like a stump of Jesse. 
out of which <laughs> shoots of newness came out of. Like it was there that I started to stumble into both the contemplative tradition. Um, so that slows me down. That takes me back into the past and some of the fathers and mothers and the legends of the church. But I also got really into like the charismatic world. Um, not like sensationalism, but like power and wonder and, and the miraculous, which takes us into like a future orientation of bringing the future of God's reign into the present moment. And so the contemplative charismatic things came out of like a kind of spiritual boredom where I was asking questions like, is all we have for the church, like, you know, what we can pull off on a Sunday and uh, more chairs or a better space or cooler programs or whatever. Um, And so a lot of that came from boredom. A lot of my greatest sort of moments of experiencing the spirit came out of a place of like, just saying, is there more Lord? Like, what do you, what do you have? What do you have for the world next? And so I don't know. I don't know if that answers your question. But that's no, but I think that's really, really good. When you think about boredom, I feel like is a lost art. You remember when we were kids and you were just in the back seat and you didn't have an iPad. You, you, you know, you didn't have music and, and, you know, Bluetooth headphones that you could put in. I mean, you, you were stuck looking out the window and now it's, we're handing kids phones where we've almost lost that art of being bored. H- how do you, you know, kind of use that as a strength? Like, do you keep like a journal with you? Like, do you like create space in your, you know, in Sabbath or your week where you're like, okay, I'm just going to, it's okay for me to be bored. It's okay for me not to have an agenda. What, what does that look like for you? Yeah, I, I think it looks for me right now in this season, I walk a lot uh, and I live near a lot of nature. Um, I didn't when I was most recently in Grand Rapids, so I would drive to nature a lot. And what I find is like, if you've ever, um, like if for your preach, I know a lot of you that, that preach on a, a consistent basis or in some rhythm as a teacher, preacher, do you ever, if you ever make like connections in the shower where you step back from something or you make connections when you're driving or just places that you'll find yourself not doing what you want to do, which is like write a sermon because you can't write it because you can't think of it or whatever, <laughs> but you start making all of these neurological connections where the frontal lobe just does something else and all of a sudden you solve problems. Um, so it's sort of like this, the like living, the, the waking equivalent of sleep where your brain actually solves problems while you sleep. But I think your brain also solves problems and puts puzzles together like when you're walking in nature because you're just being exposed to a different altitude and you're getting off the thing. And it's weird that when you get off the problem or you get off the thing that, and you find yourself in another place where you're walking or running or whatever, all of a sudden you get these eurekas. And so I think a lot of life is like that. And maybe that's part of what it means to trust God is to say, you know what, God, I'm going to put what I'm working on down um, long enough for you to actually do work in and on me. And maybe that's a better thing than what I have, you know, what I'm trying to do at this moment. Yeah, that's, that's so good. Because I think honestly, when we make that, that space to, you know, for me, it's hiking in the desert right now. And you know, it's, it's, it's wild because I'm, it's like meditating, contemplating on um, a potential idea. And it's almost like working it through my body, Yeah, you know, and it's just, it, 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 it's different from looking at a screen or a computer or a commentary, but it's, it's, it's really allowing that concept, that idea to start asking questions of my life. And it just, it's like a, it's like a profound marination that, that, that takes place. And I, I often go, gosh, like if I wasn't walking, I don't think I could have gotten to that idea. 
you know? And so I love that, that, that you do that, you know, for you, um, I most recently listened to your last teach that you gave at Mars Hill. And I, what I loved about the talk, um, was you, you, you hold your wife in such high regard and I've, I've just the way that you talk about her when we've connected. Um, but she, she had this experience where she kind of, uh, heard from God what she thought the future was going to be. And you, you were in a great season at Mars. Great things were happening. And yet, um, can you talk a little bit about what she kind of brought forth before you and then how that kind of led into the kind of structure for this talk? Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I mean, she revealed her longings to me. Yeah. And I mean, as a preacher, um, you know, being a husband is, is such a superior call than even though I love to preach, like I I'm in a covenant with her. And so, um, so I just said, wow, that's interesting that you want to return home. We'd be closer to our family in the South that that's not the plan right now, but let me pray about it. And the Holy spirit just the next week started doing all this work behind the scenes, I guess that God had been doing for quite a while. It came to a culmination that next week. And one thing after another, um, it just sort of let us hear. So that was pretty bizarre, but, uh, yeah, I, I feel like I'd rather roll the dice on her, her hearing God's voice than on <laughs> me just continuing what I think we should do. So I, I've learned enough lessons in my life to know that, um, where there's, uh, sort of, uh, a, a conflict of interest, she's usually hearing from <laughs> better than I am. So, <laughs> well, I love how you said that though, that she revealed her longings. And I think sometimes, you know, um, when we are in roles that we love and in positions that we love, I think sometimes um, that's where we can actually do damage to our relationship or even damage to what God wants to do in and through us. Um, And I just the way that you talked about how you listened, how you prayed, how the spirit just began to kind of really make this so clear um, especially in a COVID season, it's not the time to transition jobs really, but just to really see how you guys partnered and did this together. I was really, really blessed and moved by that. But, um, I think for many people, they might not want to hear those longings. (laughs) I think they, 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 they want to just stay in a place where they're in control and in power and doing their thing that they can really have that illusion of control over. And I, I, I think that one of the things, again, that I just respect about you is that contemplative, that, that Holy Spirit, but just even that, that sense of how you create space to go, I trust that God speaks to her and it might lead me to do something that I didn't see was actually ever going to happen and be open to it. How did you learn that? Where does that come from? Because I think for so many people, it's like, no, you're, you're the leader. You, you know, you have this, it's a a theology on one thing, but I feel like you have this sense of, no, 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 it's, it's us. And I want to hear from her. Well, I mean, what's cool is that we serve, uh, to put in craft terms, an organization that has, uh, uh, locations all over the world. True. (laughs) That's true. It's a pretty good organization to work for the local church. Um, but secondly, I, you know, as an Enneagram three agility has always been part of my gift mix. So I'm just the kind of person, um, that can sort of like make it work in most places I'm at. 
and I also have like some comfortability here in the South because uh, I grew up in Nashville and Orlando. Um, you know, my wife makes long friends and deep friends. I make fast friends wherever I am, but I don't, my friendships aren't like quite as deep as hers. Yeah. Like we can talk about deep things, but they're not as like, um, they're just not as, as deep as hers are. And so that's part of the underside of having the gift of agility is you can sort of lack um, permanence. You can lack a commitment to a long sort of road somewhere. So when she surfaced that for me of, hey, I would really like to be closer to our mother's um, maybe God would call us to the South. It was one of those, like, I'm totally open to that, but I have to do my due diligence of making sure that wherever I am, I'm really like not planning for the next thing or the next thing that I'm here and I'm going as deep as I can. I'm being committed and being sacrificial in my friendships, um, et cetera, et cetera. So that's the underside of, yeah. of agility. That's beautiful. Okay. So give us a little sense of like how you architect a talk. You know, if I, if I gave you a passage of scripture Walk us through when, you know, AJ Cheryl is putting together a message. You've got a month until you have to deliver this message. Oh, I'm I wish. You, <laughs> you know, or, you know, I'll give you two weeks. You've got, I'm going to have you teach from, I don't know, Ephesians 4. Yeah. What, 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 what are the kind of, do you have a process? Do you have a step? I know that you and Rich Velotis just taught um, a, uh, at Fuller. Um, on preaching, but like, what, what is, what's your, what's your kind of architecture for a message? So let's imagine I have a month. I would say I actually don't sit down and write the talk until like a week at least. Uh, okay. I, I can't imagine spending a month on a talk because it goes through, I would just, it would be awful. It would, it would take <laughs> so much energy. Um, but that being said, I would, I would want to know the text and allow it to sort of sit in the back of my head because I would want to start seeing life through that that lens of what God is bringing to bear and wants to birth through um, my heart and mind for the community. Uh, but so much of preaching, I think, is a formative task, um, not, not just for the community, but for myself. So, like, I'll give you an example. Like, I think every preacher should approach the craft as transformative and that they themselves have to become uh, the, the primary uh, object of that transformation that God is to use Bardian language is, is subject or excuse me. God is, God is subject. He's always the subject of the universe. It is we that are um, the object of that yeah. subject. And so like when, when Lieb Sarah is the Hasidic rabbi, he says this amazing quote where he says, I did not go to the rabbi to learn interpretations of the Torah. So let's just stop for there for a second. Most of us as preachers believe that, our primary task of the church is to interpret and wield the scripture well, to teach well. I think all those things are great. But he says, I did not go to the rabbi to learn interpretations of the Torah from him, but to note his way of tying his shoelaces and taking off his shoes in his actions and his speech and his bearing and his faithfulness to the Lord, man must make the Torah manifest. Right? So that's Lieb Sarah's wow. the rabbi. And the fact of the matter is, So if I have a month to give a preach, I would be at times pretty insecure if you were to, if, if Steve, you were to say, AJ, I'm going to, I'm going to follow you around for that month and pay attention to your life because it's a very different thing for a text to flow through you than for you to sort of wield a text for a community, for some sort of performative experience uh, or for some sort of hope that they'll think you're spectacular or that you're great or whatever. 
And I think we have such a low level of preaching now that we don't expect our preachers to be as transformed. We just want them to give really great talks. Um, and that's why I think you and I are seeing so many pastors, no judgment, because I, I could be in the same position tomorrow, who knows, um, fall, whether it's for pride or whether it's for um, you know negligent in their marriage or negligent to the finances or fraudulent or having extramarital affairs or narcissism. All of these things are coming to bear because we as preachers don't, first of all, see our craft as first and foremost to be transformed. Um, and so, you know, the transformative as- impact of one's preaching is entirely connected to the willingness of one's own transformation. You cannot take people where you yourself have not been. So good. And that is something over the month. If you were to give me a month, I would hope that that Ephesians 4 would come to bear in such conviction in my heart and mind that it just, you know, I would just burn with it because it's done a deep transformative vulnerable work in my own life. Yeah. It's so good. Remember, did you ever see the walk the line with, with Johnny yeah. cash? Yeah. Of course. You, yeah. You, okay. So you remember he starts out as like this gospel singer and as he's like uh, trying to get signed in Memphis and they got the little three piece and like the bass, and um, he's, he's just looking to see, does this producer, does he like it? And Johnny can tell that he doesn't like it. So he stops midway through and, and he goes, what, do you not, do you not like it? And, and the producer goes, I just don't believe you. Like sing mm-hmm. something that you believe and maybe I'll sign it. And he then sings the song about his brother's death and how like his dad kind of blamed him. And it's this honest, vulnerable song. And you just watch the producer lean in and go, I'll sign that. And I realized, you know, here's Johnny singing gospel music. He's just transferring information, but he's not, he's not singing from a transformed place. And I think so many preachers are, can transfer information. I can, I can find out what, you know, this, this great scholar has to say, or I can listen to this, you know, John Mark Comer message, and I can, I can take, I can do this. And, and people are transferring information. But what you're talking about is how does it, seep through my core and my bones and affect the way I tie my shoes. Yeah. Think of it like this, like imagine the metaphor of a friend. Every time I do, I do a French press every morning. Um, That's just my preferred method. It keeps the oils. It's (laughs) so so delicious. Uh, No love lost for the pour overs out there. But um, I think preaching is a lot like a French press. So you have these, these amazing beans, these grounds that are sitting in the top of there and they sit and they soak and they, they soak up all the, the beauty of that. You don't press it too early because then it's a diluted cup, right? Wow. And you wait for those to truly steep in there. And when you press that through, which that pressing through is the, the transmission of that content to the community. But if you go too soon, it dilutes the impact of what that cup of coffee is meant to be. And, you know, just that simple liturgy every morning of pushing forth the French press, it reminds me of my sermon, um, of like, Lord, am I allowing you to do this deep work in me? Because I mean, what if preaching first and foremost, isn't actually about preaching? Like what if it's about life with God from which God's speech can pour forth through a human vessel? Wow. I mean, I think that is what preaching is intended to be. So you have like these levels of the teaching craft. You have the informative level information. It's fine. It's good. You have inspiration, but there's this other level of transformation and every once in a while, I'll hear a preach 
that I think that is a transformed person who the Holy Spirit is basically, they have aligned their speech with God's revelation in such a way that transformed human hearts. I mean, the the crazy things that the Holy Spirit like actually takes these words and rides them into human souls Mm. and actually do work in people's life through words. I'll give you another inspiration for me is um, Evagoras. No, it was Didodarius Erasmus, uh, 16th, 17th century, somewhere in there. He He reframed John 1 to say that in the beginning was the word, you know, this, this text, he says, in the beginning was the conversation. Mm. And the conversation was about God. And the conversation was God. So he, he interprets word as conversation. Now, agree or disagree, it doesn't matter. It's helpful for this moment. Because what it says is that the world was created through a conversation. Yeah. The transformative impact as image bearers of God with our words is massive. Yes. Through a conversation, through preaching, new worlds can be created for people. And I think that is a tremendous and scary thing to hold. Yeah. Uh, scary calling. Okay. So I want to play with this idea a little bit from the difference between, you know, uh, informational, inspirational, and transformational. If you had to teach 32 times a year, can you have 32 transformational messages? You know, like, is there, is there a level when you look back at your kind of portfolio and body of work over the last number of years, do you, do you sometimes go, man, that was transformational. Hey, that one was inspirational. If I would have had two more weeks. And are there moments where you go, that's okay? Because as a leader and a lead pastor, or yeah, like talk, talk, let me in on that. Okay, here's the thing. We aren't the ones that deliver the transformation. That's not our job. Our job is to be transformed through that same text. So my inclination is to say yes, because it's the burden isn't ours to transform people. The burden is ours to, as a humble, open, uh, living sacrifice, to lay our lives before the altar of God and to say, consume me through this text in such a way that and it doesn't have to be like loud and sensational and, and sweat provoking. It can simply be a five minute homily. Where yeah. You're bringing to bear a, a vessel who has said, I have, I have attempted to live the text this week. And this is what I believe God is saying through me to the heart of our community. And it, it like I said, it doesn't have to be emotional because yeah. the Holy Spirit rides the words that the Spirit says, those are mine. Those are my words. And the neat thing is that, you know, there've been times where I felt like I gave a crappy talk um, <laughs> probably many times and yet transformation happens because there are, it, it's not on me. Right. Right. Spirit right. Right. Use those words in ways that I had no intention and moved people's souls. So that is, that is really amazing. So um, how do you, how how do you know I, though? You, you I, I, That's a gift. You don't, you don't. I think the only thing you can know is whether you yourself have been authentically in the text yeah. yourself, right? Yeah, yeah. So maybe yeah, that's yeah. our problem. Well, it, it was, it's amazing. I, I like that. That's super helpful because um, a buddy of mine, he uh, pastors in Southern California and probably 250 person church. And, and he says, Steve, every time I get done, I ask myself three questions. When, when my butt hits the seat at the end of my talk, I ask myself, did I give my best and open my life up 
for God to do what he wanted to do in and through me. Mm-hmm. Was there second, was there anything in my life that could get in the way or block God from doing and the spirit to do what they want to do in and through me? Mm. And was there anything that I got scared that God asked me to say mm-hmm. that I chose not to say? Yeah. And I just, I like those almost, if he's like, if I can answer those questions, honestly, then I go, okay, I did my part and I can allow the spirit to do what it needs to do, what it wanted to do and longed to do. So I, I don't know. I just, I think it's, I, it's really, really helpful because I can, I can see a lot of our listeners probably going, okay, I give them informational talks or I give inspirational talks. I want to give transformational talks. And I love that you said, no, 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 no. It's about the, it's about the press. Do I put myself and yeah. marinade and do I allow that press to happen and allow the spirit to do what the spirit's going to do? Yeah. Um, so when you do have a bad talk yet, what, what, like, what do you, what do you ask yourself? Is it, is it often about the prep time? Is it about the delivery time uh, or the, the actual delivery? Or are you saying, no, no, no. Like they're, how do I make space in my heart to go? It could, it actually could be a transformational talk. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, there are such things as, as bad talks. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you can miss a context. You can have poor delivery. Um, you can do all sorts of things uh, that would cause you to say, yeah, that wasn't a great talk, even though I, I laid my heart out in the text. <laughs> um, you know, so, so I, I don't want to under, undercut the human side of grit. Like, you know, often a lot of my talks are about subtraction at the end of the week. Yeah. Like, what do I need to take out? Cause it's clutter and it's just trying to like make myself look smarter or cooler or whatever. And that just needs to go. Cause that's not the main point. Um, and, uh, a, a lot of my talks are around, like, if I'll have something I'm really excited about, I have to ask my question, is this what God's really excited about and what people need to hear right now? Wow. So there's just, there's a lot of, um, I mean, everyone listening, you know, like preaching is complicated yeah. and not only is preaching complicated, but there's not like a preacher. There are so many different kinds of preaching gifts that are wielded. Like if you even just take the fivefold from Ephesians. Like, you know, this APES thing. What if there are preachers that are apostolic or preachers that are prophetic, preachers that are evangelists, preachers that are pastors, preachers that are teachers, right? So you even have through that grid and so many others, you can overlay different ways of of preaching. I think the biggest thing to make sure of, like in your preaching craft, one of them, at least, there was at least six things I've written down if we wanted to get into it. But one of them's authenticity. You know, with the amount of podcasts out, I can't tell you how many people... I can tell you very quickly who's listening to Tim Keller right. very quickly. Right. Even though cadence begins to imitate his. Yep. Um, and you're not Tim Keller and you're not Tony Evans and we don't need you to be like, we need you to be who you are. Like authenticity yep. is such a big part. Like for me to sit down after preaching to say, God, were you happy? And number two, am, am I, am I being who I am? Yeah. It's such a huge part of the preaching craft. Well, now you got me curious. What are those? I totally love what you just said about authenticity. What are the other five? Do you have those? Yeah, so I, th- I think the first quality, if, if you're interested in being a transformative preacher, um, the first the first thing is character. Like, yes. do you have a life with God? We'll just keep it yes. that simple. Do you have a life with God? Um, in which God has permission to poke around. You know, that's why we're in the text. That's why we're in community. Like, we need, we need a life with God. So that's where character happens. Um, the second is identity. 
uh, so if character is number one, identity, do you get your validation from the father, right? Like that has to be rooted uh, apart from preaching. Otherwise you're more susceptible to pride if it goes well or despair if it doesn't. You know, those are huge, huge polarities. We often bounce back and forth. We feel like amazing because that went so well and that's fine to feel good, but it can lead to a kind of pride if that's where your identity rests on. Um, you know, if you're day trading or week trading your identity based on your weekly preach, like that's a really, um, you know, just stock market jargon. That's a hostile sort of environment to be in and you'll swing from pride to despair really quickly. Sunday um, at two o'clock when the numbers come in. Totally dude. You know, you Part find you, Oh, down, yeah. we're down 7% from last year, but totally. giving's up. And all of a sudden you're yes. like, why do I care? You know, like, like, and I, I should say, why do I care too much? You know I mean? Again, you, you want, but that's not a, that's not a, it doesn't define my identity yeah. who's there and who gave, yeah. you know, but for so many of us that Sunday afternoon with their family is completely tied into that Sunday report. Yeah. And your prophetic voice will go down the more that you're paying attention to the crowds because Ooh. prophetic voices are usually ones that aren't dearly as beloved now you can you can be labeled a prophet and just like swing the cultural trend of the time and get, get quite a bit of love and tweet action but true prophets are often like people that are like hey go away <laughs> you know yeah, not because they're being be. jerks or or but but because they're just they're aligned with god's revelation yeah. and that can be deeply convicting for people it's one thing to tick people off it's another thing to convict people and yeah. people don't love conviction it's it's really hard and humiliating so if you have, you have, you have, you know, character and identity, you got to take care of the third is cultivation, you know, and this is where preachers get lazy in podcasts. Like, do you cultivate your mind and read deeply and read well, yeah. you know, um, in this season's what's happening with our neurology is our, uh, our hippocampus, which is where we store working memory for the daily tasks. It's, your neurons are shrinking in there, uh, cause you're under constant stress in the COVID pandemic and your neurons in your, uh, your amygdala are expanding. That's your flight and flight sensor. So you're exhausted is really the sum total of that. So that's what's going on in your brain almost all the time. You're thinking you're seeing a lion, right? Because we're under so much stress, so much uncertainty, so many things going on with anxiety um, that our brains just aren't functioning like they were pre-quarantine or um, before uh, the quarantine and before the pandemic. So like, it's hard. The first thing that will go for me right now is reading deeply without a phone by me. Like, how do I get back to that place where I can actually go deep and, and read well and then let my heart feel well? So um, those discipline rhythms of cultivation, right, are really important for the preacher. Uh, and those are sometimes the first things to go when we're stressed because it's easier to rip someone else's talk, which gets back to point one of character, right? Right, right. Totally, totally. So, can I, can I yeah. say one thing on that? I think, that, AJ, yeah. I think that's so powerful because, you know, I would always encourage, you know, younger voices um, you have to, th- this, that cultivation is deeply connected to budget. And what I mean by that is budgeting of time, um, budgeting of space, and sometimes actually having some dollars to budget towards a books, um, a retreat, but like your cultivation is really connected to how you view your schedule. Is there a space that you can have where you can let that guard down? And, um, I'm actually, I'm actually putting some resources behind this because, Man, I, if I'm not inspired, um, if I'm not getting that like opportunity where ideas from the spirit are coming, um, 
then, then you feel the tendency to go, oh, no, no, I filled my life up. Then I'm going to jump up to the transfer of information and stealing of information from somebody yeah. else. Yeah. So I think it's so good, man. Okay, number four, what do you have? Authenticity, we've already talked about, be yeah. you. But number five, I think is really important. I lose sight of this because I can get sort of as a four wing in the Enneagram, um, pretty dark, pretty quickly about myself. And it's confidence. Be confident that God speaks to and through you. You know, sometimes we can be so insecure, at least I can be, that, you know, I feel like I need to take over and I didn't, but like, no, God, you, you really do speak and I really can hear your voice. And I really said what you told me to say. So having confidence that you can speak boldly and you don't have to make apologies. Um, And the last is is be teachable, to have ongoing feedback where people Mm -hmm. have access to say, hey man, here's ways that without no pride here, but here are ways that you're really nailing it. And here's ways that I think there's some growth patterns for you here. Um, so those six things of, of character and then identity, cultivation, authenticity, confidence, and teachable um, are six things that I think really help, help people explore and open up to more of a transformative sort of posture of preaching. Wow. I love that. I love that. Um, now, do you, do you have, when you feel like you, you have those six working well, you are just writing better messages. You feel like, um, you feel like, man, and, and maybe not just writing better, better messages. I mean, just like living a better life. I mean, just when you, when you, you look at those lists, I'm like, it's, it's, it, this could, those six could be transferable for any profession. Yeah. You know, if I, man, if I'm more authentic in, I know who I am, I got confidence, man, I'm teacher. I mean, the, that is such a, a beautiful human, a beautiful disciple. Um, and and I, I say all that because you're so connected to this conversation um, around spiritual formation. And I love that the first one that you start with is character. Um, are there practices that you would say for me, for AJ Sherrill as a lead pastor, you know, and these are these are ones that I have to do. If I don't do, man, I, I recognize I'm not going to be as teachable. I'm not going to yeah. want to cultivate. It, like, can you let us in on that? Because character is such an important part of this podcast and the conversation we want to have. Yeah, I could give you like the the typical, I do Lexia Divina and I read um, the daily office in the morning and I pray this, you know, those are all, let's just imagine for the preacher, that's presuppositional. We believe you read the Bible. We believe you pray. We believe you um, worship in the shower, whatever. Um, I don't drink alcohol anymore after 9 PM because I wake up at two thirsty and needing to go to the bathroom. Wow. Um, cause I'm, I, I've put too much water and wine in my system and my nearing 40 year old body cannot handle what I did at 25. So yeah. I have a spiritual practice of never drinking more than a glass of wine. And I only drink wine on the weekends now. Um, and that's not like a teetotaling comment. It's, it's a functional comment for me of saying like, I actually lose sleep and I need at least eight hours of sleep at night for my brain to function well. So that's like a spiritual physiological thing for me. Um, I sleep at least eight hours a night. I'm in bed. Some people can go for six. I used to work with John Tyson. He slept like never it seemed and he'll take little naps, but it's crazy. Like I was just like, John, I, I can't go without eight and a half a night being in bed. And that's just knowing your body, knowing how you function is really big. Um, 
so that's just like something that has come to me recently where it's like, you just, you can't have two glasses of wine at night and expect to function with on eight hours of sleep. You're going to get up at two and then you're not going to get back to bed and get your rim and all that stuff. So that's a really big thing for me. I also, uh, I just, I spend a lot of time um, having to not have my phone by me. And I know people are talking about that. For me, it's a real problem. And, and I don't mean that like, haha. I mean that like, like, like tears. It's a real problem because I'm finding I'm so discursive. I'm so quick to want to multitask that I'll be reading something and then, oh, I should look that up. And before you know it, I'm like knee deep in Twitter. And it's like, whoa, this was the sacred task of giving my mind to this particular reading so that, so that I could really grow. And now I'm on Twitter. What a lament, right? Wow. It's just a shallower place to be. It's not a bad or wrong place to be. It's just a shallower place to be. So um, I have to be very disciplined in saying, when do I carry the phone? And when is it nowhere even in sight? So those sound like, well, duh. But those are things that can get me so off task. Yeah. And I realize like I am wasting my life with these snippets of time that I'm giving in so many different directions. Yeah. That's beautiful, man. I, again, I think for you to be able to clearly know your body, know yourself and to articulate, Hey, yeah, everything's permissible, but not everything's beneficial, you know? And for me to say, Hey, this is not beneficial for my craft. It's not beneficial for my character. It's not beneficial for me as a husband. It's not beneficial for my sleep. It's not that like all, but I think for many people, they, we think, well, I'm still 25. I could, I, I can, I could push through or I, I, I can handle this. I, I'm okay. I, I don't really have that big of a problem. It's just Twitter, you know, and all of it, what it's doing inside for some of us, it's eroding the confidence. And when it erodes the confidence, mm. then all of a sudden it, it, a false authenticity and we lose our identity. Wow. And all wow. of a sudden you just start seeing that circle and you go, if I really, really care about character and identity, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set up some safeguards. Dallas Willard had this great quote. He said uh, to, to a friend of mine, he said, John, you must arrange your days in such a way that you are experiencing deep contentment, joy, and confidence in your everyday life with the Lord. Who doesn't so, want that? Exactly. Exactly. Amazing. Yes. Yeah. And so, but, but when you think about contentment there, you recognize there are restraints, there are boundaries and you're actually like, okay, okay. And, and you actually believe that the structure is going to breed more freedom and joy. And you actually have confidence that you're doing the right thing and that you're where you're supposed to be. And so I just, I, I love that practical thing because I think for, for many of us, we're not getting the sleep which is affecting our marriages, which is affecting our study, which is affecting our prep and um, our delivery. It's affecting our character and our, our, our walk with the Lord. And if we really, really took it seriously, we'd say, no, this matters. This matters. And so again, those are those little things that nobody sees, AJ. And I'm so grateful you opened up to share that because it's decisions you're making that you don't necessarily need to make if it's only about you. But if it is about Jesus and it is about your, your walk with Christ and it is about your wife and it is about your daughter and it is about your community, you go, it's worth that decision. It's worth that decision. So, man, um, you, 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 you obviously a contemplative spirit. Uh, I, think, I think for you, um, what I think also is connected to the contemplative is, is liturgy. And 
you know, you kind of talked about daily office. I think for some people, they might be hearing that go, what does, what does that really look like? Um, you know, you, you gave a talk, maybe one of my favorite talks you've ever given was at a conference all on the church calendar. And I actually attempted just in my own time, just to go, I want to try and orient my life to this because um, what you talked about was so beautiful. I've just seen you, again, offer up these ideas and beliefs and structures that seemingly have helped you uh, connect with Christ and the story of God and that conversation in a richer way. Talk a little bit about liturgy and why that's been important for you. Yeah, I mean, I think it anchors us. You know, I mean, trellis and vine is a great way to talk about it. A lot of yeah. people want the vine, you know, in terms of life going everywhere, but it's not organized in such a way for its greatest impact. And so it needs a trellis, right? A dead piece of wood that it can grow on and be cultivated upward, right? Um, so on one side, you have, you know, the charismatic nutters that are just kind of like free for all, whatever, spontaneity is king. On the other side, you can just have a trellis where it's just sort of dead piece of wood and there's no life growing on it. So how do we bring those two together? So liturgy for me has been a, an anchoring, um, you know, of being a part of the story of God. I mean, the church calendar does that for us. It takes you through the life cycle of the ministry of Jesus. And it doesn't just sort of emphasize the parts that I like and that I, that I prefer. But, you know, every day I, I do the four readings for the daily office and they're really simple and it doesn't take more than, you know, 10 to 20 minutes to really read them. Um, And, you know, I begin my day with the creed, a French press and the creed. And I say the creed, the apostles, again, because it's shorter and easier to remember. Um, (laughs) But it it reminds me that I already have a story. I don't have to make it up. And I don't have to be spectacular because God's spectacular. And so I want to attach myself to that story. So I just choose to believe it and receive that story every day of my life. So, and then I'll read the the four scriptures that are given. You can find that um, on any, you know, Anglican website or the Catholics have their own version. The Eastern Orthodox have their own version. And uh, these are just people that say, hey, we want to be in the Old Testament, the Psalms, the New Testament, and the Gospels every day. Um, and so those are, it just gives you a, a holistic diet. It's not perfect, but it gives you a better diet so that you're not just emphasizing, you know, the Pauline text or, you know, the Psalms or just the, you know, the Torah or whatever. And, and that, it, it leads me to just a little sit that I start my day with. So the creed, the daily office, and to be still, and, and to know that I can go forth throughout my day. Uh, but I'll, I'll be honest, it is very easy, and this is one of the reasons I can't have my phone, to be knee-deep in email, somewhere between the Psalms and the epistle, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, you know, because I'll get this idea, oh, this Psalm, I need to say this on Sunday, and all of a sudden, before you know it, I'm I'm checking email, you know, yeah. and it's like, oh man, this, no, Lord, restore me. This, I, I want to be restored to where I was. So I want to go yeah. back. Yeah. Um, so that's a, that's like a thing. I, um, you know, I used to have my notes, you know, and, and do so many messages on yes. my notes. Yes. And so I would have that idea and I thought I was being faithful by getting my phone and putting the yeah. note. And now I just needed to have note cards and literally write it during the time. Cause I want to keep those ideas but I, I just, I didn't have the self-discipline to not go from notes, like you said, to Instagram or Twitter. And all of a sudden I'm like, I'm missing my time with, with Christ. So I love that you said that. AJ, one, one of the other things I think that you've done, again, connected to spiritual formation, actually when this podcast release uh, will kind of coincide with your book releasing, but you've been this unique voice over the last five, six, seven years in the conversation around the Enneagram, but not just the Enneagram. I feel like Enneagram and 
actual formation. And your, your new book is dropping um, when this podcast is released called The Enneagram and Spiritual Formation. How are those nine numbers connected to spiritual formation? What are you attempting in this book? And yeah, and, and give me anything that you have for a three so that I can be more shaped and formed in the ways of Christ. <laughs> well, let me say it like this. I think, I think we as pastors need to do a better job of realizing that we can't batch spiritual formation. And I mean, this was the driving question for me when I was doing my dissertation at Fuller, um, which I did on the Enneagram and spiritual formation, because um, what we say to people is read your Bible, pray, come to church and maybe give some money. And in 30 years, you'll be changed. And in reality, most people don't feel changed. They just feel older in 30 years. Wow. Maybe they've been sitting in your church for 30 years. So I became curious, like, wait, okay, so these are unique ways that we're both beautiful and broken, these nine ways, right? And it's more than that if you get into, you know, wings and all the different stances and stuff like that. Um, but that being said, let's just say there's nine. Um, what if there are ways that we can think about our beauty and brokenness, things that need to be healed and also things that need to be cheered on, that those might pair with specific practices where someone who resonates in this personality profile might actually resonate with these practices different than some who is a six or an eight or whatever, right? So what I, what I did is I did a bunch of research on like uh, what I call upstream and downstream practices. So like there are practices for every type that I suggest that are, uh, let's say downstream. So if you're in the lazy river and you're just sitting there floating, you're going to go downstream. It's really easy. So these are practices that are really easy for you that you gravitate toward. But there are other practices that we ignore because they're harder for us. As a three, as sevens, it's hard to sit and be contemplative, especially if you have a future orientation. The present can be really hard to live into right now. Um, So uh, those are called upstream practices because you're going to have to swim upstream. You're going to have to dig in order to stay in them. And so what happens to a life of a disciple is typically we do what we're good at and we ignore the rest and we call that following Jesus. But my recommendation is that when you begin to explore your enneotype, you can get really clear on ways that you can specifically follow Jesus more intently through upstream and downstream practices that are going to both affirm and challenge your personality uniquely for who God has made you to be. So it helps us to not just batch formation, but to say maybe there's a different set of practices for six that could be more helpful than there are for twos. Does that make sense? It's so good. You know, and how do, how do you encourage people to break through that wall? Because, you know, you, you named it, like we, we gravitate towards the things that we're good at. But what is it that you found to be something that maybe is across all those nine numbers to, and types to say, hey, this kind of posture is able to move someone from downstream to those upstream exercises and practices. What, what are the characteristics that help people go from what they're really, really good at and what they're going to be drawn to, that they're going to make themselves feel better as a Christ follower, but they're not actually really helping them take that next step in their faith? Yeah. It, it, you know, is it humility? What, what, are, what are those characteristics that you find that you go, gosh, this is what I found in my research? Yeah, consent. Wow. Consent. Right. So Richard Rohr once said, um, there's a difference between willfulness and willingness. And it is that desire to be willing rather than willful. So 
you are no longer the subject of the universe. You are an object. You are consenting for the spirit to really have permission to poke around and to transform you. Um, so I think that's the one that pervades them all is, is, is to be consenting. And that, that's, uh, yes, that is a posture of humility. Um, I think, I don't remember who it was, but it was Benedict who said the four, the four cardinal virtues are uh, humility, 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 humility. So good. So good. Yeah. Now, just getting practical, um, going back to the no wine after nine, um, is, is that a, a form of consent for you? And that you just go, gosh, like I, like that for me is me consenting to this reality. Yeah. It, it, it's a humble admission that, um, I'm not 25. Yeah. But it, yeah. It, it's also a call to a greater story. Right. Just like, um, uh, enjoying this. Like I could have another glass of wine, but, but maybe saying no is saying yes to something better. Yes. Yes. See, I just think it's, I just, I, I love just trying to make those dots for people because I want them to, to see. Um, and I love how you said that by saying, no, I'm, uh, it gives me a chance to say yes to something, something better and more beautiful, you know? And so um, that's, that's unbelievable. Now um, the book, is it, is it everywhere? Where, where can I find it? Yeah. Everywhere books are sold. Yeah. Awesome. And I feel like you, you are, I mean, you've written a number of books. How many have you written? Five? Uh, I don't know. Maybe four. I don't know. Four. Okay. And, and I feel like you always have ideas that you're working on. Like, do you have a couple that you're, that you're still working on right now? Or are you yeah. like, yeah, you know, I've got another one coming out a year from now um, called goats in the trees. And it's really about the absurdity, the necessity and neurology of contemplative prayer. Oh so my goodness. I want to bring all three of those in. So I've, it's a reef. It's a reform of a book I wrote a long time ago called Quiet, um, okay. but it contains like a neurological and cultural component to it that I think is going to be really, um, really fascinating for people. At least I hope so. That's awesome. Now, with Enneagram and spiritual formation, what is this? What would be your hope for this in like the local church? If I if I'm like a pastor and I'm listening to this yeah. and I'm like, oh man, like, dude, you you got me upstream downstream. Like, is this, is this like a class? Is this like a small group campaign? Is this like something that you're kind of leading uh, retreats or workshop? Like, I, honestly, I'm, I'm asking like, do you, this is not like a sales pitch. I'm just, I'm curious. Cause I think it's like the, the concept, because I think you're so right. We have measured discipleship by attendance, by reading your Bible, by giving, and maybe some volunteerism and prayer, but like deep down what you're, what you're talking about cultivating within people and within the local church, gosh, if, if churches can get this, yeah. what the fruit and the local expression could be for the city and for Christ would just be amazing. So what does that look like? Yeah. I, well, the end result is I want people to walk out with their own rule of life. So I've done yes. scores and scores of workshops around the world where the people that come, I want them to leave taking ownership over their own spiritual formation, taking sort of agency to say, I'm creating my pathway AJ has not just led me through my personality, seeing how my personality also shows up in the scripture and also seeing how my personality shows up in spiritual rhythms. I am going to write out and I guide them through this whole thing of writing out what you are now committed to this season to walking with God, right? So 
that's one of my hopes. And I've been doing that for, you know, five, seven years now. And I love helping churches, but you know, it's, it's small group curriculum. I think that book is so easy. It's so practical that, you know, it reads itself. Um, so small groups, it's, it's accessible. Um, it's accessible for other pastors. I do a lot of work with staffs as well because the leadership dynamics between yeah. how personalities work, differentiation is such a needful thing rather than homogeneity when it comes to leadership. Um, and so how do we differentiate and, and admire one another's differences in our personalities and, and see them as strengths rather than weaknesses because not everyone's this way or that way. Uh, so that's another big thing that, that I like doing work with, but um, it, it can be helpful in so many different ways. So, yeah. Man. Well, AJ, I honestly, like, I, I just, I think the world of you and I, I think the, the way that God has uniquely um, just kind of made your brain and the way that you, I just feel like stew on ideas, um, mine them for such powerful insights, but don't stop there. I feel like constantly and consistently just keep trying to figure out how is this going to literally um, shape something more beautiful in me. And I, I don't know, I just, even when you said that, that, that those two words, like the trellis and the vine, and I, I just, I just see that in you. I just see like that, the beauty and that charismatic and contemplative. And um, I really think that this book is going to help a ton of people. Um, excited for you in this new role as a lead pastor. Excited for your family. Um, but more than anything, thanks for being someone from afar that's taught me, um, but also been an example to me. And I just, uh, I'm, I'm grateful for, for you for being someone of character being someone who is relentless in trying to figure out identity stuff and, and just not afraid. And, and I think the authenticity, the confidence, the teachability, um, I just think that you, you model that. And so thanks for being that. And uh, thanks for joining us on the podcast, bro. Yeah, man. So happy to have a conversation with you and great for your life and gifts as well, my brother. Awesome. Thanks, man. Go blue. Go blue. this episode was brought to you in part by united we pray united we pray is a podcast devoted to praying and thinking about racial strife especially between christians come join us in praying for the unity of god's people